Welcome to the Think Christian Podcast. We're responding to the bat signal on this show and catching up with the HBO series, Insecure. I'm Josh Larson, not Batman, just the editor over at thinkchristian.net and your host of the TC Podcast, where we believe there's no such thing as secular. So we've been wanting to talk about Insecure since the series wrapped up its five-season run last December, starring Issa Rae. Insecure follows a young woman in South Los Angeles, also named Issa, navigating friend and romantic relationships, basically trying to figure out where she fits and who she wants to be. Turns out, the protagonist of The Batman, some guy named Bruce Wayne, is also going through something of an identity crisis. Early on, he claims, I am vengeance, and that just doesn't seem healthy. So that's the theme of this show, identity, how any of us define our identity and what it means for Christians to say we find our identity in Christ. Superhero expert Joe George is going to join me to talk the Batman, and then insecure aficionado Catherine Freeman will come on to talk about the HBO show. Now, because it is an HBO show, it probably shouldn't surprise you to hear that Insecure features some explicit sex scenes as it details the merry-go-round of these romantic relationships for its characters. We know that there are listeners who try to avoid such things, so we wanted to give you a heads up about that here at the top. Obviously, there are other elements to Insecure that we find worth exploring, especially as they relate to this question of identity. So that's why we are covering it on the podcast. Let's do that now. Catherine Freeman is here to talk HBO's Insecure with me. And Catherine, this has been a long time coming. Do you remember when I first checked in with you about doing something on Insecure for Think Christian? Yeah, it's been some months. <laughs> <laughs> Last November, actually. So yeah, yeah. You're, right, you're right on there. Um, yeah, I was like, but, uh, I think the show is still airing. <laughs> <laughs> it was. Yeah, the the finale was at the end of December, I think, right? Yeah, like right before Christmas. There you go. Yep, sounds right. So I'm glad we're here now. And maybe a good place to start, if you don't mind, would be to catch folks up on what the series is all about. And then maybe talk about what it's meant to you over the course of what's been, what was a five-season run. Yeah, so Insecure it follows Issa Rae, plays a character whose name I think is Issa D in the show, yep. and her friends in L.A. And so when the show starts, Issa is, I'm 28, 29, um, and she's trying to figure it out. African-American female, 20-something in LA. She's at the time when the show starts, she works for a nonprofit that works with kids from underprivileged backgrounds. Over the course of the five years, it's really about kind of her figuring out who she is, kind of going from insecure to like more secure. Um, And then her relationship with her best friend, Molly, who's an attorney, who Molly's journey has more to do with like romantic relationships and figuring out how to, yeah, be in a relationship with someone. And yeah, so Issa is just figuring it out. She's figuring out her relationships. She's trying to figure out her career. Um, and that is kind of the journey we're following them over the five years. Is this what you always want to do? Uh, no. I, but I got this job after college and it fit my interest at the time. Are you single? Uh, I don't think that's appropriate. <laughs> yes, you're single. <laughs> okay, since you guys are so interested in my personal life, here it is. I'm 28. 
actually 29, because today's my birthday. Uh, I came from a great family. I have a college degree. I work in the nonprofit world because I like to give back. I've been with my boyfriend for five years, and I did this to my hair on purpose. So I hope that covers everything. Does anybody actually have any questions about We Got Y'all? Why ain't you married? I'm just not right now. I like how you said moving from insecure to more secure. Yeah. Because thankfully, I think, and we don't have to jump to the end, but just on that point you just made, the series doesn't end with her like perfectly having her whole life figured yeah. out, right? It is exactly what you said, a more secure place. So so what has that journey been like for you watching this series uh, over this yeah. time? What, what has kind of resonated with you about the show? So I think the number one thing I like just love about the show is as an African-American woman, like seeing myself in TV and like my friends, for those who don't know, I went to law school. So like the Molly character and just like regular stuff, right? Like they're not superhuman. So they're not superheroes. It's not like tragedy porn, you know, like just regular black people living in LA and trying to figure it out. And I feel like there was a lot to identify with that just because, yeah, we've all gone on our own journeys. And I think, you know, to say why I went from like insecure to more secure for her and Molly, I think even that trajectory of, you know, you're never really going to have it all figured out. And like for Issa kind of getting to the place of saying like, I don't know, and that's okay. I just need to make a choice and Mm -hmm. trusting my ability to like pivot and be resilient I feel like was the journey that she was on going from not being able to make a choice and being so paralyzed by options to just being able to like make a choice and like go with it, even if it didn't make sense to other people, which was like the sort of season five arc was her kind of relationship with her longtime boyfriend who she breaks up with in kind of the early series. And for her friends, one of my favorite discussions in season five is You know, she's like, I would look really stupid if I went back to him. And one of her friends says, like, who cares? Like, if that's what makes you happy, like not making decisions based on what's best for others, but what's best for yourself. So I think I really identified with that, like just the process that you go through in like young adulthood of like finding yourself and seeing that reflected in characters that I could relate to. And I think it also was just really funny. Like some of the situations they got got (laughs) themselves into. Oh, and one other thing I wanted to say, I think also as a single person, the significance of friendships and relationships, you know, when the first show first started, it was like a big Twitter conversation was always about Issa's relationship with her boyfriend, Lawrence. Um, But I think as the show progressed, and then I read some like interviews with the writers kind of in the final season and they're like no the central love story is Issa and Molly and their friendship and how they navigate life both together and separate and so I think just having a show that like celebrated black female friendships and regular life I think is what made the show so meaningful to me yeah that struck me as the true arc of it if I remember right I think we even meet Molly before we meet Lawrence uh, early on in season one. And then it does come full circle where it's kind of where their relationship is as friends at the very beginning and then where it is at the end after these five seasons. So that makes a lot of sense to me. And as far as the humor, I mean, it is hysterical in broad ways, but also just very funny little character touches. I mean, maybe my main takeaway is just like Issa Rae is a talent. I mean, first yeah. of all, we should say this was created by her, this series, based on a yes. web series that she had done yes. previously. She writes a lot of these episodes. And as we've said, she has the lead role. And it's a combination of, you know, comic timing, but really deep dramatic chops, too, I think. Yeah. 
And the thing about her is the way she holds both of those in almost every scene. Obviously, some scenes are more dramatic and others are more broadly comic. But I think you could watch any scene that Issa Rae is in and she's going to bring a little bit of both to them. You know, there's yeah. going to be a little funny touch in the drama and there's going to be um, a level of seriousness when she's making you laugh. And the other thing about her, I think, with which speaks to your note about the friendships, is she has such an electric rapport with anyone she shares the screen with. And yeah. she does it in a way that's not, um, it's not dominant, like where she's going to be this huge comedic force. It's very generous. You know, she works with that person, whether it is one of these men she's meeting and possibly getting more deeply involved with, whether it is with Molly or some of her other friends. It's a very generous rapport she develops. So, I mean, it's really a crime that Issa Rae has not had more high profile opportunities. Maybe yeah. those are yet to come now that the series is officially done, but yeah. not just as a star, but as as a writer and a producer as well. Yeah, no, I love it. I mean, even just, I think to your point about how generous she is with other actors, I think one character that really demonstrates that arc is the actress Natasha Rothwell, who plays Kelly in the series. So Kelly started out as like, Natasha Rothwell started out in the writer's room. And then was cast as Kelly. And it started out as a really small part. But Kelly, when she would kind of get into these scenes and like ad lib, was so funny that she went from this kind of side bit player to this like huge part of the story. And I think this just speaks to what you were saying about Issa is just letting her shine. And like there mm. are scenes where Kelly totally steals the scene. I'm thinking of when they yes. went to see Beyonce <laughs> um, at Coachella. Well, they ever they never actually got to see Beyonce, but the whole Coachella <laughs> episode is hysterical and it's not like this competing like who can bring the funny it's kind of mm. yeah she is very generous in her rapport with her actors the people in the writing room um you can see that it was really a collaborative project yeah yeah i didn't realize that about her background how she how she came to the show she becomes one of those four central friends really that we follow through the rest of the series so let's talk a little bit about identity and how it relates to Insecure. As we've already touched on, you know, the central thrust of the series isn't really about what man Issa ends up with. That's part of it. But it is more about, um, you know, it's more about her friends, but it's really about how she understands herself to be at her core. I, I think it's through those relationships, of course, but also in her own mind, in her own sense of self. And it was very interesting to me to watch, um, didn't make it through every episode, but kind of sampled, watched the first season and then sampled after that. But I did pick up on a recurring visual motif that they continue to return to, and it's Issa talking to herself in a mirror. I think you get this a lot in the first season where she's sometimes questioning herself, uh, other times trying to hype herself up. Uh, I know in season two, there's that episode where um, the question of identity becomes even more explicit, that funny montage where she's trying on all these different personas in the mirror, complete with costume changes, too, because she's waiting for, um, as the character we mentioned, Lawrence, played by Jay Ellis, her on-again, off-again boyfriend. She's anticipating a visit from him. So she's kind of playing with, who am I going to be when he shows up, right? Um, then the last season, the most recent one, at the Stanford reunion, she talks to her college-age self. In the mirror, I like that bit. So basically, we meet a lot of Isas over the course of the show, and they often comically, you know, interact together. So what I'm curious to hear, Catherine, is how you see this question of identity playing out across the series. And is there anything in the show that might relate to how we as Christians struggle with insecurities 
even as we kind of seek to root our identity in Christ. Yeah, I think we can all relate to that, especially in your 20s. Trying to figure out who you are, trying to figure out your calling, how does your calling uniquely serve your community or your neighborhood, and this sort of, like, you're just trying things out. Like, you're trying different personas, maybe you're trying different ministries, you're trying different jobs. And I feel like we've made that a negative thing. One thing I love about Insecure is it just, it celebrates that. Like, this is a part of a journey. This is part of what it means to be human, is we all kind of go through this narrative arc. And I mean, you even see that in scripture, right? Like, take David, for example. He starts off as a shepherd, and that, his whole narrative arc, then he's in Solomon's court, then he's in King, the king. And, you know, the gifts and skills that he needed as a shepherd, and some of them relate, but in some ways they don't. And he's trying to find himself. Joseph, there are many, many characters. Mary, where she starts out very f- afraid, and then her narrative at the towards the end of the Gospels. And so I think this, like, journey of, like, really figuring out, one, I think your gifts and callings, but your identity. I think one thing is, I would say, for Christians and even as watchers of the show, is it's not a bad thing. Like, don't feel bad if Mm. you don't know. And I think also, too, just, like, trusting God and trusting the process that he's taking you through to grow in those ways. And if other people get there faster, right? Like, I think in Insecure, Isa has this one friend who, her seemingly, her life is very perfect. Like, she married her college boyfriend. She has this very high-profiled career. Then she gets pregnant and has a family. And then in season four, she has this whole narrative arc where she suffers from postpartum depression. But like very early on, it feels like all the other women in their friend group are comparing themselves to her. And she Mm. kind of goes out of her way to make it seem like her life is so perfect. And I think one thing I would say is like not comparing your journey and the journey God is taking you through to what others are going through. And also, too, you just don't know. Like... They, it could be this perfect facade, and that's not really what's going yeah. on in the mirror at home sure. in the bathroom. Right, right, you know? right. <laughs> and so I think, you know, having an identity rooted in Christ, I think, is helpful as you go through that, right? Like, so that you're not trying to find worth or security in relationships or jobs. But I think as you go through those changes, allowing Christ to go through them with you and being rooted in that, but also just being okay with, like, not knowing and— making mistakes and, you know, maybe trying children's ministry and then being like, I don't really like working with kids, you know? <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> and it's okay. And it's okay. And you're going to find—I I mean, I, I firmly believe that God honors that desire in us to serve Him when we desire to keep Him first and to have identities rooted in Him. I firmly believe He honors that, and you're going to find your thing. And, it, and I think also, too, feeling like— I think one thing that insecure kind of maybe free, I would hope frees people of, is that you're ever going to get to this place of of 100% security or 100% knowing. And for Christians on this side of eternity, I just don't think that exists. And so, you know, trusting God that you can pivot, that you are resilient, um, that, you know, you're going to have your kind of Jeremiah-esque ups and downs, Um but yeah, that if you have an identity rooted in Christ and are committed to Him, that He's going to use those gifts and that journey as part of this larger story, as part of a larger blessing to the church and your community, um, and feeling secure in that and not necessarily what it looks like in the different seasons of your life. Yeah, yeah, secure, 
secure in who you are now if you're rooted in your identity is rooted in Christ because it's going to be rooted there wherever you end up down the road and not yeah. really putting as much value or meaning in the steps along the way. That does resonate with the trajectory of of Issa for sure on the show. And again, kind of goes back to what I said I did appreciate is that it wasn't, you know, I think she does make substantial choices and lands in more secure places near the end, but it's not like she gets the man who's going to answer everything. She gets the job who's that's going to answer everything. In some ways, you like to think she's in a better place in those areas of her life than she was when we first met her, but that hasn't come. I don't get the sense the show ends with us believing that that has come to now define her once and for all, and yeah. she's got that full identity there. So, yeah. so it kind of brings us, you know, people might still be catching up with some episodes, so we probably don't want to, you know, get into this too much, but overall, were you happy with where things ended? I mean, I was sad that the show ended. <laughs> yeah, you could have you could have seen more, I, huh? I could have seen more. Five seasons feels so short. Um, but I was happy with the character's narrative arc. I okay. feel like um, you know, for me, like if Molly and Issa are the central kind of relationship, the sort of final scene and their conversations with each other made me very happy. Yeah. I think I was more happy about that and their relationship than some of the sort of romantic relationship. And I think even just like career wise, you know, I think overall, I, for me overall, I was very happy how the series ended. I know some people were not. <laughs> My more frustration was, was with the series ending and not so much with the like final Got final it. Finale. Got it. Yeah. That last encounter with uh, Issa and Molly, I think is really well handled. I would agree. Yeah. Do you, is there anything else? I mean, there's five seasons. Uh, we can't cover it all, but anything else you wanted to be sure to touch on in terms of favorite elements or memorable bits or anything you want to leave us with? So two, two things I want to talk about is LA as a central character in the story and the importance of place. Um, mm. The show is so specific to LA and, you know, like the communities. And I think Issa Ray is actually from Inglewood or somewhere in LA. So like going these specific coffee shops and specific stores actually exist in real life. And I think for Christians, I think as part of our identity, we sometimes neglect place and community. Mm. And we very centrally focus on, especially um, I think American sort of westernized culture that is hyper individualized, that we forget sort of this larger, both our community and our place. And I think one thing the show does really well is like, no, this is a part of your identity too. Yeah. And the place in which God has placed you has a unique identity or characteristics. And so figuring out, so how you serve your community in LA should look different than how you would serve in, I don't know, Miami. You know, how you serve Christ in LA should look different than how you serve Christ in Miami. And I think so for Christians, I would say knowing your place and being rooted in place and having a, a well-developed theology of place, I think, um, yeah, I think that's one of my favorite things about Insecure is how well, I mean, like the, in the first early seasons, they live in this apartment complex called the Dunes, mm -hmm. which is like a real place that you can go visit. And so I just love that she was like highlighting her neighborhood and like, and talking a lot about and showing how this place formed her as a person. Um, so that was one thing. And then what was, oh, the other thing is your identity is not about you. So Insecure, I think I mentioned this before, or maybe I didn't. There's a documentary that accompanies the final season, and they do this one highlight in the documentary of all of the first-time writers 
and costume designers and set designers who then have gone on to other things, who are now like doing their own shows, who are now, you know, doing set design and costume design and cinematography for these huge companies, but got their start with Insecure and how Issa Rae fulfilling her calling and being secure in her identity as the sort of writer, producer, director, actress has opened these doors for underrepresented groups, women and minorities in Hollywood to have these opportunities that they wouldn't have otherwise. And so I think even in real life, when we talk about identity and we talk about purpose and we talk about calling, yeah, I think sometimes, again, we can get so focused on ourselves, but if it's Mm -hmm. not, you know, trying to find ways in which to, to connect that and make it also about other people, I think is really beautiful. And I love that about the show. You know, to jump back quickly to your um, comments about place, this is that's a very crucial aspect of the actual form of the show, because I think each episode at the very beginning will have moments of establishing shots of some of these are aerial shots of the actual streets going down, but they will be, as you said, storefronts for businesses that are in this South Los Angeles neighborhood. And that's woven throughout the series where sometimes in the middle of an episode, we'll get a little break of just getting to see a couple other places in the area where the characters are. So it's definitely an integral part of the show. Thanks, Catherine. I'm glad glad we pulled this off. It was great. And uh, it's not going to be that long before I talk to you next time because you are going to join us um, for the TC Movie Club, right? You still got that on your calendar? Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. True Grit is probably one of my favorite Westerns, so I'm excited. I love True Grit. The Coen Brothers version is what we're going to be talking about. This is part of our series on the films of the Coen Brothers. So, yeah, Catherine's going to be my co-host for that online discussion with the rest of the movie club members. It's going to be at 2 p.m. Central on March 27, which Oscar fans know already, fans of the Academy Awards. They probably heard that date and are like, wait, that's that's the Oscars. Don't worry, 2 p.m. Central. Uh, We will be done well before all of the festivities kick off. I don't know. Are you a regular Oscars? I think we've talked about this before, Catherine. Is it something you watch if you can, or are you kind of always there? I kind of, I mean, I'm interested this year because I like, I'm kind of the host I'm very interested in and how they, but I am a diehard red carpet Oscar red carpet watcher. So I'm happy that it'll be done before all the red carpet (laughs) stuff. Because even if I don't watch the whole show, I will watch E's red carpet special all the time. There you go. (laughs) So, yes. I'm glad we're starting early enough because you would have said no then. You've been sorry. Yeah, I would have been like, no, I got to watch. I got to see the gowns. I got to see the gowns. And I hope, I mean, you know, I said before all the festivities, but it seems like those start earlier every year. I hope by like, you know, around 3 p.m. Central, we'll be done. Those will just be getting started so people can shift right into that mode. Yeah, no, but it's fun. I'm excited to be with you. Well, good. Can't wait for that. Again, if um, you haven't joined the TC Movie Club yet and want to be part of that, you can still do it. Go over to thinkchristian.net slash movie club. Give us your email. We'll send out the Zoom link, the meeting invite, all of that in time for our March 27 gathering. So thanks again, Catherine. We'll talk to you then. Yes. Looking forward to it. Bye, guys.
Hello, I don't know who you are, but I'm John J. Thompson, and that was the OJs with an oh-so-appropriate tune for this mix, Identify, from their 1979 album, Identify Yourself. That song was written by Kenneth Gamble and Leon Huff, two of the most productive and consequential writers and producers in music history. They helped to define the Philadelphia soul sound, back when some listeners would be able to identify an artist's hometown or region just by the sound of their records. A bit later in the show, you'll hear a smidge of the Ting Tings, That's Not My Name, lovely pop firecracker that surprisingly only made it to number 39 on the charts here in the U.S. Considering how ubiquitous that track was, I totally expected it to have been a top 20 hit at least, but the Tings, aka Jules Martino and Katie White, certainly made a name for themselves in the long run. And those are just two of over 35 songs that I have curated around the theme of identity, self-awareness, and personal reflection on purpose and meaning. This was a fun one, as artists have been asking these questions for a long time. Oingo Boingo, Foster the People, M Eminem, John Lennon, Paramore, Stevie Wonder, Solange, Vance Joy, AJR, Madison Cunningham, Snoop, and a surprisingly biblical tune from Katy Perry all make appearances. It's a two and a half hour long identity crisis that sounds oh so fun. Find the mix by searching for the Think Christian profile on Spotify and following it. You'll see this one, entitled Identity Crisis, right there alongside all of the other mixes I have pulled together over the years, and even that massive archive mix that puts them all in one place. And if you can think of any Identity Crisis songs I should add to the mix, well, who do you think you are? Just kidding. Tweet your ideas to me, at John J. Thompson, and I just might add them for you. Until next time, this is JJT wishing you the funkiest Identity Crisis possible. Peace. Josh Larson here, back with the TC Podcast, and the author of the soon-to-be-published, The Superpowers and the Glory, Joe George. I understand your final draft has been turned in to the publisher, Joe. How's that feel? Do I not seem so much lighter and happier than the last time we talked? (laughs) YouTube viewers will have seen your expression when I mentioned that. Um, Can probably be heard in your voice as well. Congrats on that. Thank you very much. Yeah, it feels good to actually get that out there. I bet, I bet. And it's good for you, too. These superhero movies, they just keep coming. So there's ongoing interest in this, and that (laughs) does include yet another version of the Batman legend, this time titled rather definitively The (laughs) Batman. Before we get to this iteration, Joe, just more broadly, where does Batman as a character kind of fit in your pantheon of superheroes? Would you say Batman's a favorite, somewhere in the mid-tier or lower than that? Oh, no, he's definitely a favorite. I mean, okay. he, he's, to me, one of the three, you know, paradigmatic superheroes, right? Mm. Like, every superhero takes after either uh, Superman, Batman, or Spider-Man. And so okay. he's, he's. I mean, you can't like superheroes and not like Batman. Uh, you know, a, a character that big, sometimes they have some less than great runs and entries. Sure. Um, which we might get into in a moment. Uh, but on the whole, <laughs> I mean, he's a he's a fascinating concept. And, yeah. and uh, I'm, I'm always there when there's a new good Batman story. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, I, I like that. I, I didn't really think about that top tier being those three. Just personally as a kid, definitely responded to Batman and Spider-Man. Um, yep. Superman, maybe a less so. But in, uh, the, in the wider culture, yeah, <laughs> like that makes sense to name those three. Yeah. Uh, I can see that for sure. So I'm pretty much in agreement with you there, but I think moving forward, we have a bit of a problem, Joe, based on your review of The Batman at JoeWritesWords.com. While I appreciated Robert Pattinson's turn as uh, the Cape Crusader, almost as much as I appreciated Michael Giacchino's score, which for me, that Doom-laden score, that's the real star of this movie. Mm -hmm. But 
You, however, are not as much of a fan of Pattinson. First of all, my condolences for becoming <laughs> uh, a target of the Pattinson fanatics. You know, those, yeah. those who have followed him and loved him <laughs> since Twilight, and they are going to come for you. But also, beyond that, <laughs> make your case for, for listeners on why he didn't work for you. Okay, I need to I need to clarify. I like Pattinson and other things. I was okay, good. very excited <laughs> to good. see him when he was cast. I was all for it. That's still not going to make the Pattinson fanatics happy, but good try. It was worth I trying. Know. I know. <laughs> I'll, I'll just yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll throw back my lighthouse review where I praise him. He's fantastic. There you go. But he's a blank here. He's okay. just a. I mean, part of it is, and we'll get more into this when we get talking about the identity themes. Is there's no distinction between Batman and Bruce Wayne here. Hmm. He plays Bruce Wayne exactly as sulky and, and you know, brooding and doesn't do the whole uh, millionaire playboy mask sort of thing that we get in every other version of Batman. But on top of that, I don't think he emotes well in the suit. I mean, every actor has a, tr- a challenge doing Batman, especially because most of the versions have like a facial expression carved onto the mask. <laughs> right. So you, not only do you not have your eyes, you don't have your eyebrows. <laughs> so you really only have your mouth. And uh-huh. he's got a good mouth, but he doesn't really do much with it. I mean, okay. and, and part of it, well, I'll, I'll shut up there because I'll get on to the things. But part of it is the director seems to want to shy away from iconography, uh, at least where mm. specifically Batman's concerned. And that strips another thing that Batman actors have had in the past in order to to cut their teeth. But yeah, I just, he's, he's kind of a blank, especially while everybody else is so strong for me. Okay. Tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> well, <laughs> you're not entirely wrong. And I, okay. I think what's especially interesting is what you did write about uh, in a little detail in your review on your website was talking about how what emotion he does express is by this stare. Yes. And I noticed that that too immediately. And I think I kind of responded to it in a little different way that made me appreciate it a little bit more. But but you're right to single that out and to say that he is reserved and kind of dour as both mm-hmm. Bruce Wayne and in the costume. And the thing about the staring for me is I think it did tie into this recurring motif that is in the film, which has to do with looking. And yeah. this is a Batman who is is still looking for his place in this crime-ridden Gotham. He announces, you know, that he's vengeance personified <laughs> early on. Um, but even so, you know, he's been fighting crime for, for two years, says himself he doesn't know if he's even made much of a dent. So it seems to me when he's staring, when he's looking that way, even when he looks out at other people, and this goes to your point, when he's in and out of costume, he does this mm-hmm. both ways, right? It's almost like he's trying to determine, as the detective he is, who they are in this larger scheme of things, within Gotham's quagmire of of crime and corruption. And even beyond Bruce Wayne, you know, there's, there's also the bit where Batman wears the contact lenses that record his activities, mm-hmm. and he gives those to Zoe Kravitz's Catwoman. At one point, so she can wear them. She's they're working together at this point. She's doing some surveillance. So, so that's just another form of looking that that the movie yeah. is dealing with. And I do think you know it was kind of something I was noticing, but didn't know what to make of entirely. Joe, it kind of came together for me towards the end when there's this climactic confrontation with Paul Dano's Riddler, and mm-hmm. uh, we won't spoil the particulars of that. But what I do want to note is that it's interesting to me that. As the Riddler begins describing Batman in this conversation as this merciless vigilante, you know, Mm -hmm. 
Batman kind of averts his eyes. It's the, it's really mm. the first time I can remember in the movie where he looks away from mm. someone. And it struck me that it does relate to this question of identity where it's almost like Bruce Wayne doesn't really see himself for who he is. This kind of yeah. sick Avenger, very similar to the Riddler, until yeah. he sees himself through the Riddler's skewed eyes. So that's that's sort of my defense of the staring, which is definitely a thing. I admit there's a <laughs> lot of it. Um, but yeah, what what are you thinking in terms of this related question of identity? You know, how you saw that playing out in this version of Batman? Well, the, the, it's on a plot level, it's happening with kind of the, the, the Riddler schemes. The Riddler is killing high-level members of Gotham society and suggesting that there's some sort of uh, hypocrisy that's yeah. going on. And he, you know, he says in one of his <laughs> rants to the camera that he makes on the internet, Gotham's true face will be revealed, you know? And so there's this question, uh, what is Gotham's identity? Because it sees itself as this very progressive um, modern city, this, this idea of the, um, oh shoot, uh, what is it? The Renewal Project. Yeah, the Renewal right. Project is going all throughout the thing, this idea that we're going to help the lower classes, we're going to stop crime, and this was a brainchild of Thomas Wayne, Bruce Wayne's father, before he was killed. The Riddler is explicitly trying to uncover that and show the hypocrisy behind that, which ends up cutting straight to the heart of who Bruce Wayne is, you know, mm -hmm. his identity, not only like you say, this kind of dark Avenger, and he has to wrestle with his relationship with the city with that, but also his his identity as the son of Thomas and Martha Wayne and what who they are, right? Right. Uh, later on in the film, this, this refrain, the sins of the father shows up. And I, again, I won't spoil exactly where it goes because it takes a couple twists. It's a challenge to Bruce Wayne slash Batman when he's thinking about who he is. What kind of world has he inherited from his parents? Are his parents, in fact, the good people he thought they were? Or are they part of this, this devious underbelly that's actually rotting out Gotham City? And so the most compelling thing in the actual Batman story for me is this question that that Bruce Wayne's dealing with is who, who am I? Um, not simply, am I going to be a dark Avenger or a symbol of hope, but rather who am I is what kind of world has I, have I inherited? Mm -hmm. Am I part of the problems, you know, that, yep. that are tearing this, this city apart, or am I in fact what I thought I was, but part of the renewal trying to save the city? Yeah, I like that. And it's, you know, it's touched on in previous iterations, but I think, as you said, there are so many twists and turns here. It is really yeah. a detective story that I felt that at least that it was taking me in in some different directions, which which I did appreciate. One thing it also made me think about, you know, which which I kind of want to run by you and see what you thought is, you know, as Christians, we talk about our identity in Christ. And mm -hmm. this movie made me wonder about, is there a difference between having an identity in Christ and having an identity in our Christian mission? And this goes back to kind of Batman Bruce Wayne specifically. At the beginning, he seems pretty obsessed about his mission. He may be mm -hmm. questioning its effectiveness at, at this point, but he's mm -hmm. still committed to it. I mean, this is something that he's going out and doing every night. He comes back the next morning and yeah. using those contact lenses, revisits the footage to see what he can learn from them. Yeah. And it did make me wonder if um, we can do something similar when we equate our identity with our part in building the kingdom of God? Is it, is it maybe healthier to separate those two things? So kind of a dual question there, like mm. as someone who knows Batman well, how did you see that particular um, identity crisis playing out for him? And then is there any relation to hear how 
we might think about participating in God's mission and maybe being an also more content just to have our identity in Christ. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, let me let me let me parse it. Start with the easy, the Batman one, and okay. we'll get to the theological one. I, I thought that was a real compelling aspect, and I want to be clear. I liked the movie. I just found his performance a little bit uh, lacking. Um, but no, that's a real compelling question about you know about any sort of vigilante story. Are they actually doing more good? What is the human? aspect that kind of comes in there. We get that really great bit where Alfred, who's played by Andrew Serkis, is kind of a tougher Alfred, you know, says, chides him about not dealing with Wayne Enterprises. And he says, you know, something about, aren't you continuing your fa- your parents' legacy? And Bruce looks up and sneers, you know, this is my parents' legacy, right? Like he sees that this, yeah. the, all that other stuff has nothing to do with the legacy, which his work is being Batman. Mm. So, yeah. Um, as far as the Christian element goes, my my answer to, to to that one is kind of a a qualified yes. You know, we're okay. always on shaky ground when when we put our missions before people, right? I mean, mm. and, and all anybody who's been done any sort of church service is guilty of this. Certainly myself, where you know I've I've got to do this children's program, uh, so I I can ignore you know, somebody closer to me, uh, mm. you know, what my wife needs, what these people need, et cetera. Um, yeah, because I got to yeah. put the show on, you know, uh-huh. and we can, we can justify that sort of stuff by saying, this is our mission. This is the greater good. But um, our, our Christian identity is, is founded in the fact that we're image bearers of God. And so if we aren't acknowledging that image of God in another person, then in fact, our mission is not spoiled or rotten. It's, yeah, yeah. I, the identity is going the wrong way. So it's I, for me, it's not so much a question of my identity in, in, in Christ as it is everybody else's identity in God and my ability to recognize that. Yeah, that makes sense. And, you know, I guess also part of having your identity in Christ means being Christ-like, which is being loving and serving and sacrificial. So Absolutely. that is also putting, as you're saying, the people ahead of the quote-unquote mission. So yeah. So that resonates with me as well. Yeah. So let give me give me something else you did like about the film. Cause as you said, I like the movie overall. We just split <laughs> we split on Pattinson. So I did too. There's three hours here, plenty to dig into. So maybe tell mm-hmm. me one other thing that um you really did enjoy that made you come out positive at the end of the day on this. I think Paul Dano's great. I think okay. his performance is fantastic. I thought that could have been a disastrous mm. performance. And Dano's not always worked for me in other movies. And so I kind of went into this like, oh, he's going to do Jigsaw from Saw Mm, or uh he's going to play to his worst instincts as an actor. And I thought it totally worked. Not only it didn't feel like to me a a Joker ripoff, it felt like something grounded in this world, but also still felt like a supervillain, which is key. It didn't feel like Jigsaw or like a serial killer as grizzly as it could be. And then at the end, when he kind of comes back as himself, that 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 looking performance that you're talking about, I just I thought was extremely effective, even as he kind of let loose a little bit. I mean, really, yeah. all the performances besides Pattinson, I thought were really great. But that one okay. I to signal. He's creepy, and he's creepy. as and as his plan unfolds, which we won't spoil. Yeah, it, it's really nerve wracking and anxiety producing. Um, yeah. Again, maybe particularly because of where we are at now and the things mm-hmm. in real life that echo this and. Other films have kind of touched on this maybe, you know, 10 years ago or so, and it wasn't quite as in our face as these things are today. 
I don't think it ever exploits those elements, though. I think it's more of an interesting consideration of them and how they might play out in this heightened comic book world. Definitely. Well, thanks, Joe. Um, You have more superhero thoughts on the TC website. Your post on the HBO Max series Peacemaker, we just published that. It's at thinkchristian.net. So I encourage folks to check that out. And yeah, congrats again on finishing the superpowers and the glory Uh, All the best as you start getting the word out about the book, okay? Oh, great. Thanks, Josh. You got it. They call me hell. They call me Stacy. They call me hell. They call me Jane. Batman isn't her name either, or the Batman for that matter. A 2008 track there from the Ting Tings, pondering the nature of identity, That's Not My Name, from the English pop duo's We Started Nothing album. I do love that one. Most of our identity crises are a bit less extreme than Batman's. A few years ago in The Banner, that's the denominational magazine for the Christian Reformed Church, of which TC is a part, editor Xiao Chong described his own unique sense of identity. He wrote this, I was born and raised in Malaysia, though I'm ethnically Chinese. Just don't ask me to speak, read, or write Chinese, as I am not fluent. English is my medium, and English literature was my major. I am a son, a brother, a husband, a father. These are all facets of my identity, and behind each lie the stories that define them. But all are woven into my identity in Christ. My spiritual identity, shaped by the biblical narrative, is my core identity. It's the one story that shapes and defines all my other stories— In God's story, I find that I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Chong quoting the Heidelberg Catechism at the end there and encouraging us when we struggle with our own identity crises that Christians can find comfort by centering our identity in Christ, making that our core. Thank you to Joe George and Catherine Freeman for coming on the show to talk identity with me. In relation to the Batman and Insecure, you can keep up with both of them on Twitter. Joe is at J-A-George-I-I, and Catherine is at Catherine Annette. We're on Twitter, too, as well as Facebook, at Think Christian, and we are over on YouTube as well. You can watch video versions of this show on our YouTube channel. Now, speaking of YouTube, if you are watching there right now, you did get to see John J. Thompson having a bit of an identity crisis on camera. I did not know that was coming, but you did miss out on a couple of tracks from John's Spotify playlist for this episode. You can catch up with those songs and others around the theme of identity crisis by searching for the Think Christian playlist on Spotify. The TC Podcast is a listener-supported production of Reframe Ministries, a family of programs designed to help you see your whole life reframed by God's gospel story. Visit reframeministries.org for more info. Our audio engineer and post-production supervisor is John Reeder, and Reframe's co-director overseeing content strategy is Robin Bassley. Thank you so much for listening. We'll get together again in a couple of weeks to consider how another aspect of our pop culture fandom connects with our faith.